Welcome to the QAV podcast. My name is Cameron. This is a weekly investing podcast where I chat with my friend Tony. Tony's a very successful investor. He's been doing it for about 30 years. His returns on average are about double the market over that period of time. And he's able to get those returns because he developed a system of value investing that we call QAV, quality at value. How do you find good quality companies and how do you buy them at a discount to their intrinsic value? It's basically a scoring system. We look at the fundamentals of the companies and that's what we teach our club members. Uh, In terms of the podcast, we have a free episode each week, goes for about half an hour. That's what you're listening to now. We have a longer episode, usually goes for an hour to an hour and a half. And I'll tell you more about that at the end of the episode. Anyway, let's get into this week's show. Welcome back to QAV, Toe Cutter, Toe Cutter Kynaston. <laughs> Based on the story he was just telling me off air, this is episode 706, recording this on the 6th of February, 2024. How are you, TK? Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Hot. It's hot in Brisbane today. So like in, no, it's cool down here. It's mm-hmm. windy and wet. Mm. Uh, the market hit its all-time high this week, Tony, and then thought about it for a second and went, nah, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. Went home. Dropped again. Uh, and I loved it. I read in the Finn this morning. Finn was saying, on Wall Street, the Dow was dragged lower by McDonald's. It's fourth quarter sales missed expectations, reflecting in part the impact of the war in the Middle East. McDonald's slid 4%. Really? <laughs> the war in the Middle East where people in Gaza are eating less McDonald's now? I mean, <laughs> what? Yeah, I had I actually I hadn't even thought of that. I, I was just thinking of its American sales, but it could be worldwide sales, I suppose, that are down because... That part of the world is not eating for some reason. But yeah, I wouldn't have thought the war in the Middle East would impact McDonald's. <laughs> and then that affects the Australian share market. So people in Middle yeah. East are still eating McDonald's, so our market falls. Well, it's like it's like this is what happens in the share market, right? There's almost there's always a default answer for whenever anything goes wrong. Oh, it's rising interest rates. Oh, it's the Ukraine war. Oh, it's supply chain COVID problems. It's just there's always one default answer when no one knows. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that, you know, you can't go in the financial review and go, we got nothing. We don't know what's going on. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really sell papers. Hey, we, we found this junior analyst at bumfuck.com in, in New York. <laughs> he reckons it's because yeah. uh, the war in the Middle East. <laughs> that actually a URL. If it's- I got a source. If it's not, I got a source. I'm, I'm going to register that if bumfuck.com is not already. Oh, oh, it's definitely a good. It's, yeah. Oh, pop ups. Oh, okay. my God. Yeah. Well, I'm getting distracted now. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, yes, our portfolio is still tracking around about double market. Tony um, had a good week. Our portfolio was up quite a bit versus the STW. Didn't have to sell anything. Mentioned DUR last week, and we said the DUR, which is sort of the Michael Jordan in the portfolio, mm-hmm. had come down a bit and took a hit last week. It, it was back nine and a half percent last week. So, as I think you were suggesting last week, it could have just been profit taking. There, it seems to go up, come back a bit, go up, come back a bit, go up, come back a bit. Still not back to its high of like one seventy something. I think it's still around one fifty five, but 
it bounced back 10% mm-hmm. last week after we talked about it. So I'll uh, take credit for that. It was the QAV bump, we'll call it. Would you like me to talk about it again this yes, week? Yes, <laughs> please do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the point is that stocks just don't go up and up and up. They go up, pull back, go up. It's two steps forward, one step back. So right. you've always got to. Take that into account if you're thinking about taking profits. Mm. It, it depends on your risk profile and your risk tolerance, as we said last week. Mm-hmm. If it's worrying you, take some profits or take half profits mm-hmm. and leave half mm. on, the, on the counter. Mm. Um, but as I said last week, I wouldn't be selling a, a good company like Duratech mm. at this stage. Speaking of people listening, we 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 did a you did a pulled pork on Findy, I think it was last week, and the managing mm. director of Findy reached out to us and said thanks very much. And uh, yeah, two weeks two weeks ago, and have you seen the share? I think the curse of the pulled pork is over. Have you seen the share price of Fendi? <laughs> I have actually. Yeah, I did the I did the pulled pork at a dollar. Right, it's a dollar forty now, dollar forty four. Okay, it's actually gone down then because it was got up to a dollar seventy. Yeah, it was a dollar seventy last week. It's pulled back a bit. That's because mm. we haven't talked about it for yeah. two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> no, no wonder he wants to come on the show. Um, yeah. What's our charge? What's what's our, our normal fee? Let's just wait and make sure the pulled pork curse is over before we uh, start charging for it. Well, then we charge not to do pulled porks, right? <laughs> well, speaking of things going up and going down, uh, we did talk, I think, last week about CCP and um, the results were coming out. You said they would probably downplay their earnings, the, the, and the shares would probably fall a result. I suggested we should maybe um, get out, preempt it. You said that would be predicting. Well, the results came out. The shares did fall, but then they bounced back up again, but then they fell again. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, they seem to fall there. too. It's possible the AFR has a, a stronger pull on stock price movements than we do, but there was a um, an article, I think it was in the AFR a day or two ago, uh, about how, on the one hand, Credit Corp was saying they're taking a write-down because the US economy isn't strong, but on the other hand, they're saying it's a great time to buy distressed ledgers when the economy isn't strong. So right. um, the analyst was saying, you know, which is it? Are they, are they low-balling us again? Yeah. Well, it didn't drop 30%. Like it did in October, no. it dropped uh, yeah, 4% true. and then recovered a bit, but obviously still not back to where it was Ooh. back in October. It was at 20, $21.62 back then, dropped down to $11, $12. Now it's back up to $17. But uh, Yeah, traditionally this is the time to buy CCP because they generally uh, under-promise and over-deliver. Mm. Mm. And I think the analysts who who pulled their um, their report apart was probably correct in that um, they're trying to trying to downplay everything, so it can't be all bad. Mm. They're either going to buy lots of debt ledgers because um, the economy is receding in the US, or they're going to have more uh, or the inability to collect as much more write downs mm. um, because the economy is receding. But which one is it? Mm. So yeah, they're sandbagging. But if I had sold it. Before the results came out at eighteen dollars forty, I would have been able to buy it again at seventeen bucks. So, um, uh, you are becoming a gun trader. 
<laughs> you can if you can take the pebbles from my hand, <laughs> you can go out in the world watch, on your own. Watch me catch a fly with my chopsticks. Yeah. Oh well. Um, mm. Joe G in our chat room said he did buy CCP on the dip. So uh, no, good for good, you, Joe. Good work, Joe. Um, in less exciting news, Google banned our ads and Google ads and declared they were clickbait last week. <laughs> clickbait. Clickbait. But they weren't worried about any of the after hours conversations on uh, what was the book you're reading, Venus and Furs. They just <laughs> they're worried about clickbait. Clickbait. Huh. We're promising something that's uh, too good to be true, apparently. Is that what they said? That's one of the definitions of clickbait. I uh, appealed yeah, okay. their ruling, and they told me to take a long walk as a result. So, <laughs> really, yeah, no, no <laughs> discussion, no, I, I, no chance to present my case. Have a look at the dummy portfolio; it's doing double market. So, when I say we get double market, no, just no clickbait. You're out. Or send them, or send them the regression testing uh-huh. that uh, someone did for us the other week, send, which was to say the same thing. Send who? <laughs> there is no one. Send the hmm. send the AI at Google. Yeah, Bard, <laughs> Google testing. Bard. Yeah. So that was fun <laughs> trying to find someone at Google to talk to, but there's nothing. No oh, idea. It's like talking into a into the Grand Canyon, man. There's nothing there. So that's uh, well. If anyone knows somebody who works at Google, hmm. please put in a good word for yeah. us. I- Metcash. Okay, Metcash. Metcash. Yeah. You don't don't need to check your dummy portfolios to see if you own Metcash before I talk about it because it's not on the buy list. It's um, not quite an anti-QAV stock, but it doesn't have a very high score. Um, I think most people will be familiar with Metcash, the company. Uh, It it, uh, is a supermarket, hardware store, and liquor group wholesaler and franchiser, I guess. Operating brands like IGA and Foodland, uh, Home Hardware, Mitre 10, Celebrations, Liquor Store, those kinds of things. So all the Australian listeners will have come across those from time to time and may even use IGA for their weekly shopping or Mitre 10 to to do their DIY. Uh, Long and story history, this company, which I always find interesting. Uh, The history of Metcash goes back to the early days of supermarkets in Australia, 1927 in Woolloomooloo, when uh, a guy called Joe David opened his uh, first store and called it David's, and David's supermarkets were around for a long time in Sydney. So that was 1927. 1935, Joe David opened a warehouse in Redfern to supply his stores, uh, but also saw the opportunity to supply other stores as well, so basically started the wholesale supermarket supply business in Australia. Uh, So the fast forward to 68 and David's expands into liquor. 1980, they um, had a big acquisition, a company called AG Campbell's, which was a a large supermarket wholesale business in Australia. And then in the 80s, they were the first to introduce scanning and labelling to Australia. 88, they introduced... uh, the Retail Banner Independent Grocers Alliance, which is, of course, IGA, uh, and in 2000 rebranded as Metcash after South African company Metro Cash and Carry took a major stake, and they stayed with them in only about four or five years and, and then sold out. 
2005, Metcash acquires Foodland Associated. 2010, they acquire Franklin's and convert that brand to IGA. And then they start to branch out into other areas, uh, including hardware. So in 2010, they, uh, I hesitate to say acquired, they did a deal with Mitre 10. So um, because they're a wholesaler and franchiser, I'm not quite sure acquiring is the right term. They basically sign up companies and become uh, come under the stable of Metcash Supply and then uh, uh, convert to franchise arrangements as well occasionally. Um, and I think that was a smart move because the the supermarket wholesale game's a tough one. There's, of course, two major competitors, three really if you count Aldi, Coles, Woolworths and Aldi in Australia. So it made sense for them to diversify a bit into hardware and liquor. And they're, um, they've kicked, certainly kicked some goals in both of those areas over the years as well. Uh, what else can I say about them? So I guess the point I'm making is essentially they are, they're a wholesaler, but they do have some element of control over brands, sometimes as a franchiser of the retail outlet, sometimes as a part of their wholesale deal, they'll do store refurbs and refits, and sometimes they actually operate the outlets. Uh, the other thing to note is that I think today they came back out of a trading halt, but they've just raised $300 million to acquire the food distribution company Superior Foods, and that's a that's a business that uh, supplies cafes and restaurants. Um, they're also using some of that fund to acquire a couple of hardware supplies, Bianco and Alpine, and that's basically been the history of this company in the last, say, 20 years. They they either take on debt or raise capital, and then go and uh, consolidate in the in the industries. And if you think about retailing, uh, you know, it, it's a bit like in the US when there's Walmart, which you know has put a lot of small companies out of business, but then there are networks of the sort of small mum and pop stores that band together to, to fight Walmart. And I guess Metcash is the kind of um, conglomerate of those sort of mum and pop sort of stores. So, for example, um, on the on the hardware side, uh, with Home and with uh, Mitre Ten, and recently with a company called Total Tools, which is number one in its its market of providing. Um, Tradies with professional tools. I can see you smiling. <laughs> and um, but uh, I was talking to uh, an insider from the hardware business recently, and they were saying that you know Mitre Ten and, and Home Hardware and Total Tools can do really well up against Bunnings because it depends on their service and their and the and the store layout. But for example, oftentimes they'll they'll open across the road from a Bunnings and then. Um, the tradies will go across to the Mitre 10 because it's got a bigger, bigger trade supply section and does better service. Um, and or they might have a bigger paint section than the, the Bunnings or the staff are just better. And it gets to the point where the in the paint section in the Bunnings store, they'll refer customers across to the better service at the Mitre 10 across the road. So they've kind of um, grown symbiotically almost off Bunnings as well. Because Bunnings is the category killer, you wouldn't expect another hardware chain to do as well. But but uh, Metcash does operate the number two hardware chain, the combination of Mitre Ten and Home Hardware and Total Tools. And the other other area that um, Metcash has gotten into with the hardware stores is that they put them into you know urban areas. So for example, uh, there's one up the road from us on Oxford Street, which is not where you'd expect any tradies to go because there's no parking. Um, no real floor plan. It's kind of like three stories of hardware, and they call them grab-and-go stores. So they'll stock things that 
you know, a, a very meager DIY person like myself might want to go and buy, you know, a picture hanging frame or a picture hanging set or a, a drill or something like that. Just grab and go stuff you can carry home with you. And so that's a good niche market for them. So they've kind of filled all the gaps that bunnies can't survive. There is talk as well of rural areas, for example, that the established hardware stores there are able to um, to lobby the councils to keep Bunnings out of, and they're successful in those kind of areas as well. Don't know how much truth there is into that, but but it certainly goes on. Uh, so that's that's the kind of Metcash story. Um, to go through their numbers, and again, it's not on our buy list, so be aware of that. Uh, the stock price I'm using is uh, from a day or two ago. It's three dollars sixty-four is the share price. ADT on this company is nine point three million dollars, so it's very big, big enough for most people to to buy into. Uh, but the comp- the share price is currently a Josephine. It's just and it's one of those ones where the buy line and sell line are starting to converge in a triangle. So it's just it's above its buy price, but it's almost at its sell price, which is three dollars fifty-two. So not too much above that. The share price is above consensus target, but it's a long way, sorry, less than consensus target, but it's a long way above IV1 and IV2. IV1's $1.51, IV2 is $2.74. The yield is 6%, which is good. It's high, but it's not good enough because we want it to be 6.8% or better. Stock Stock Doctor Financial Health is early warning, which I thought was interesting, and it's consistently been early warning for a long time. So and that's not a stock I would like to necessarily own because early warning um, isn't as you know financially healthy as strong or or recovering or some of the other ones <clears throat> that are there. But um, I'm wondering whether because it's it's a wholesaling type model that uh, early warning is is just how it operates because it's it's not like a supermarket necessarily where um, supermarkets like the ones that Coles and Woolworths run are terrific businesses because you generally people shop once a week, so you're getting paid once a week for your stock, but you're paying your supplies once a month. So you've got you've usually got this tremendous amount of working capital sitting there to be used um, in supermarkets. I don't know if that's the case with Metcash because they're not selling the retailer is selling the stock, they're supplying the stock. So they're being paid monthly and supplying uh, and invoicing monthly. So I'm wondering whether early warning is a is a sort of natural part of being a, a retail wholesaler, but I haven't done a deep enough dive to, to look at that, but I'll call it out. And the financial health is steady because it's been early warning for a while. Uh, PE is 12.3, which is almost the lowest, but not quite, so we can't score it for that. Prop CAF is 7.15 times, so it's above our cutoff of seven, but getting pretty close to to being acceptable, but not at the moment. Net equity per share is only $1.16, so it's much lower than the... Um, the $3.64 share price, and therefore we can't buy this at anything like book value. And again, a sidebar to NEPs for this company, net equity per share is $1.16, but the net tangible assets is $0.24 cents per share. So there's lots of goodwill uh, through acquisitions on the balance sheet. And as I said before, they're making a their business plan is to consolidate all the fragmented retail operations um, around Australia. So uh, that's not un- again, not unusual. And as people will know from past podcasts, I'm not necessarily against uh, that kind of Google acquisition on the balance sheet. Um, there is the risk that they have to write something down. But the flip side is if you look at uh, the acquisition of, say, Total Tools, which was their last big acquisition, 
they've kicked some goals with that, and they've, I think they've doubled sales in about the last 18 months since they've acquired it. So even though there's um, goodwill on the balance sheet through acquisitions like that, if the company's under, underlying it, they're doing well, then it's worth it. Uh, Stock Doctor has forecast earnings per share growth of minus 3%, so that's uh, something we don't like to see. Uh, so it gets a, a negative for that. There's no owner founder and equity hasn't been consistently increasing. So there's not a lot to score on the quality side of things for this company. And, and it gets a four out of 16 or 25% score. And if you look at, and if you divide that by the um, the prop calf, it's a QAV score of 0.03, which is well below our cutoff of 0.1. So uh, interesting company to look at. Um, strengths and weaknesses for it. Uh, I like the hardware business side of things. I think that was a great idea to diversify into hardware because they're the number two player in hardware, which is great a great space to be in, but they're the number four player in food, which is not a great space to play in. And plus they're the wholesaler of food, so they're not getting the normal benefits of a supermarket of, of this kind of free working capital because of trading terms. So it um, made sense for them to diversify away from that. Uh some of the other strengths, um, they really have embraced the local store strategy, both in their supermarkets and other businesses, and they do try and make themselves the centre of the community, often in, particularly in rural areas, but even in urban areas, they do a lot of uh, community support and outreach and things like that and sponsor local activities. So they try and play up the community side of things. Uh, the, as I said before, the hardware is working well against Bunnings. Um, uh, liquor is number two in its market, so that, that's also been doing well. Um, I think the other strength for them is that they're still consolidating a fragmented mar- market across all these different categories they operate in, and uh, that will come to an end at some stage, but they're, they're calling out there's still plenty of opportunity there, so that's a strength for them. On the risk side or the weaknesses side, um, I really think the food side is um, is the biggest risk. Uh, Coles and Woolies have done a lot of experimenting with with small footprint stores like Coles Express and I forget now what the Woolworths brand is. It's Metro, Woolworths Metro, um, which must be eating into IGA's territory. Aldi uh, has also similar sort of strategy to IGA, so that must also be competing strongly against them. So I see, I see food as being a tough business to be in and then the fourth largest in food. So they're you know, retailing is all about having a competitive price. And if you're the fourth largest, you're not going to get the best trading terms from your suppliers. So they do have to play up the convenience side of things because they, they'll never get down to match the, the majors, I don't think. So that's going to be an issue for them. Um, I think branding fragmentation is an issue for them and, and that might be solvable over time, but they've got some stores as Foodland, some stores as IGA. I think some are super value. There's quite a lot of different brands in the market and they could probably benefit from having an overarching brand, which will then get some recognition or better recognition and stronger values associated with it. Um, they're, they're going through a major IT upgrade, which is always difficult, especially for a, um, you know, a, it's a big company, but not the biggest in the area. So a smallish um, retailer in Australia. So that there could be some risk with that. Uh, I put a question mark on the franchise model. Um, you know, I've, I've worked in the franchise system at Shell and it's a tough one because you are always herding cats to try and do what you want. You see it as being best for the franchise, but in some local areas it may not be. And then it's a you know it's a, um, an exercise in negotiation over trying to get the local people to um, 
you know, toe the line and, and adopt the franchise standard. So that's always a difficult business model. Um, just to, to, to highlight the difference in sizes. So total revenue, and I know it's not an apples to apples comparison because Metcash has hardware as well as supermarkets and Coles has Target as well as supermarkets and Woolworths has Kmart, et cetera. But total sales, uh, the headline comparison, Metcash does about $32 billion per year. Coles has $80 billion and Woolworths has $126 billion. So that kind of size disparity will eventually make it difficult if it hasn't already for Metcash to do good deals with suppliers. And I wouldn't be surprised, I'm not going to suggest this, but I wouldn't be surprised if Metcash can't even access some suppliers because Coles and Woolworths have somehow tied them up. Um, but I don't have evidence for that, but wouldn't be surprised. Um, the Stock Doctor financial financial health of early warning, I think, is an issue. Um, again, that could be just the, the way the model works for this industry. But um, certainly when you look at all that Google on their balance sheet and $0.24 cents per share of net tangible assets, that's saying to me they don't have much space to borrow for acquisitions. They've just come out of a trading halt today to raise $300 million for an acquisition. So I suspect if you're a, a shareholder in this company, they'll be – and they're growing by acquisition, you're going to be asked to stump up money from time to time. So just take that into account if you're wanting to buy into this one. And the last risk I put on my list was is a government inquiry, which has been announced into the supermarket um, industry and whether there's price gouging going on and whether they're doing enough for the cost of living crisis, blah, blah, blah. And most reporters and most people are saying, oh, this is going to be tough for Coles and Woolies. But I lived through one of these inquiries just before I finished working at Coles or Coles Meyer um, back in the, when was that, uh, early noughties or mid noughties. And the person who, or the company that came out the worst from the inquiry was Metcash because, you know, Coles and Woolies were able to, at least in the short term, make a case to say, we've dropped our prices, we're doing the right thing. Um, but uh, Metcash just couldn't afford to. And they, constantly kept pointing. Every time they went in front of an inquiry panel, they point to the fact that they were cutting prices, but the other player in the market wasn't. And so um, I don't think Metcash ever faced any sort of government sanctions or penalties, but certainly got a fair bit of bad publicity out of an inquiry like that. Um, they're just not big enough to fight it, whereas Coles and Woolies are quite adroit at doing that. And uh, I suspect the same thing is a risk for Metcash going through this one as well, which is about to start. So that's Metcash. There you go. Thanks for that, Tony. That's for John, who requested that last week. Not sure why, but uh, <laughs> gave us something to do. So thanks, John. Vic Cash. Yeah. Is it is it you know a, a likely anti QAV stock, Tony? No, because I think the anti QAV stocks are all gross stocks, and Matt Cash isn't a gross stock. It's just this is muddling along. <laughs> We need to make them on the buy list. I mean, the, the prop cap for it was seven point something, seven point two or something. So it's not too far off our right. Our cutoff. If like if it can improve the quality score, it might get on there. Get up there. Yeah. All right. Thanks, TK. Yeah. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week. Runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another. 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and 
and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But while he's not, we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episode. And if you have any questions, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. Thank you.